Preparing for eternity. What I did was here, I, I drew, let's see if I'm looking at it this way. Okay, so I drew a timeline, an arrow that represents um, your life just for the next million years or so. You know, because we're all going to live for all of eternity. Whether you live in heaven or hell, we'll all be in all of eternity. What you do with the cross of Jesus Christ determines where you spend eternity. But how you live determines how you spend eternity. But this, this, this timeline, this kind of represents your, you know, the next little bit of your life. Little bit, you know, compared to all of it. A little bit of your life. And if you, I don't know if you can see it, but I put a little teeny speck right here that represents the amount of time you have on earth. This little teeny dot, James calls it a vapor in the wind that appears and then disappears. Uh, one translation says a speck. Uh, this little speck, what you do in this speck of time determines what the rest of this is going to be like. Um, believers who honor God and they stay faithful and they treat others with, with kindness and they serve the local church and they win people to the Lord and things of that nature, this, this, the rest of this line is going to be really, really good. Believers who are lazy, sloppy, they live selfish lives, they, 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 they don't grow in the things of God, um, they're going to be in heaven, but it's not going to be a very good eternity for them. So I want you to kind of get a picture of what this little speck is about. Remember whenever you were in high school, and man, high school was everything. Those four years, were you, it doesn't matter if the whole, if Armageddon could have been sometime in high school, and you, it wouldn't have bothered you at all as long as you had your hair fixed properly, as long as you had the clothes that you wanted to wear for those four years, as long as you got to hang out with that certain person or date that certain person or be a part of that sports team, those four years were everything. I mean, you invested your, every emotional piece of energy you had, you invested in those four years. Every piece of money you had to make sure you got this outfit right and your hair was, and you did, you wouldn't go to school. You could be sick with the flu throwing up, but if you look good, you're going to school that day. But if you're healthy and everything's fine and you got one hair out of place or it's, it's a frizzy day because it's raining, you're late for school and you're, you're all upset and your life's going to end. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had that same passion for eternity? If we thought, man, it's all about eternity, it's all about being with Jesus, it's all about heaven, it's all about his kingdom, winning people to the Lord, wouldn't it be amazing if we took that same passion that we had in those four years, which was our whole life? I mean, you didn't think about retirement, you didn't care about college, you didn't care about, you just, those four years were everything to you. If we could have that same um, outlook on eternity... And how important it is what we do in this life, what we do in that speck of time determines forever for us. Let me show you some scriptures. Matthew 16, 27. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And I'm going to bring my rewards. Everybody say rewards. Aren't you happy that God is a rewarder? He, he could be the God with no incentives, but thank God he is a rewarder. He could be God that just says, you know, do, do good, obey me. I mean, you don't get nothing for it, but just do good and obey me. No, no, he rewards us, each one according to what it is he has done. Um, we can't imagine the rewards that he has for us. In your wildest dreams, if I said, those of you that have the most creativity, draw me a picture, write out what you think the greatest rewards are going to be. We could not even fathom and these rewards aren't just rewards like on earth. If you get $100 at your work, $100 bonus, you spend it and it's gone. These rewards are eternal rewards. They last forever. Uh, someone said to me the other day, well, in heaven, because I told you, I said, you know, it's going to be a little bit sad if your spouse has a mansion and they're ruler over 10 cities and, 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 you know, they're over this planet over here and over here and you're stuck with this one bedroom and you're supposed to be the one that cleans one of the offices in that city that your, that your spouse or your best friend is over. Someone said, well, we're not going to be sad in heaven. It, there's no the sin. It's not a sin to be um, disappointed. 
It's not a sin to look back and realize, I should have done things differently. I should have done something differently. My, my mom, uh, growing up, they didn't have a lot of money. Now, my nana's here today. Her mom, you wouldn't know. To look at my nana, she walks and she talks and she dresses and she acts like she's got a million dollars stuffed in her pocket. She, she, she's fancy and she, she can dance and sing and she knows the lingo and all that. But growing up, they didn't have a lot of money. And so my mom told me one time for Christmas, she got her own basket of fruit. And that was a big deal for her. She had her own orange, she had her own apple, her own banana, and she was excited about that. Now, my mom knew that other kids got presents. She knew some kids got 10, 20 toys. She wasn't upset that she had her fruit. She enjoyed it. She was grateful for it. But she knew there was something else that she could have if they had a lot of money. Well, let me tell you, when you get to heaven, there are going to be people and God's going to look at your life on earth and you're going to realize, man, I could have had more than just a fruit basket. I could have had all this been given to me, but here's the problem. I didn't serve God faithfully, or I gave up when I shouldn't have given up, or I got offended and left church, and all these things that we realize when we look back. I should have invited this person to church, how things could have, the domino effect could have affected the whole world if I had just been bolder with my faith, and all these things we're going to see whenever we get to heaven, and we're going to be rewarded according to what each one of us has done. Matthew 6, 19, don't store riches for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy. Instead, store up treasures. Everybody say Treasures. For yourselves in heaven. There are treasures. Can you believe there are treasures in heaven? It goes on to say where your treasure is, your heart is. We say that our heart is in the kingdom of God, but the Bible says our own heart deceives us. So how do you know if your heart is really in the kingdom of God? Where is your treasure there? You can look at your bank account and see where your heart is. Arby's, Burger King, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A. I mean, you can see, you go down the list, you say, here's where my heart is. My heart is where my treasure is. And so God says, if you put your treasure in my kingdom on earth, I'll put my treasure for you in heaven. Here's what's beautiful about this scripture. God has treasure more than any treasure you could imagine. He has treasure, and he doesn't use it to adorn himself. He has treasure that he could use to show his beauty and majesty. He has treasure stored up for you because his heart is for you. His heart's for you, so that's where his treasure is going. He just wants to see if your heart is for him while you're here on earth. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. It says, let us get past the elementary stage in the teachings about Christ. In this scripture, it lists three elementary teachings, three things that every believer should know as a foundation for their faith. One of those three is eternal judgment. Now, when you went to elementary school, you got your basis for your English, your math, and your science. Let's say that you went from um, kindergarten to middle school. Would you pass or fail? Fail. If you, went from, if you went from kindergarten, talk to me, please. If you went from kindergarten to middle school with no elementary school, would you pass or fail? Fail. And then you would say, well, I don't like that I failed, so I'm going to do it again. If you went back to middle school, would you pass or fail? Fail. If you went back again, would you pass or fail? Fail. Without getting the elementary teaching, you're never going to understand what comes next. Without getting your basic science. And this scripture is saying, if you want to succeed as a believer on earth, one of your main focuses and main teachings that you need to have under your belt is eternal judgment. Um, I know that most of you probably don't keep up with the, the Christian international world as a whole. I, I do. And one of the main um, networks of churches that has just hit the map all over the world is this church network in Brazil. It's a first world nation, and there's a church network of 13,000 churches and 350,000 church members. And most church networks, let me name a church network that you may have heard of, Methodist or um, Southern Baptist Convention. These are church networks. Some are smaller, but those are some of the big ones. For a church network of 350,000 people 
and 13,000 churches in a first world nation, you would think, well, this network started 100 years ago, or maybe 50 or 60 years ago, but this network started 16 years ago. And if you ask them, how in the world did this start? And they'll go back, they'll trace back to one man who had a passion for training pastors, and he'd train them and send them out and train them and send them out. But how did it get so big and popular? And you'd think, well, is there really great speakers? Like, is there really good communicators? That's why people are just flocking and miracles are happening and, and, and agriculture is changing for them and, and, and people are getting healed physically and, and, and relationships restored, families restored, all these great things happening. Surely there's a really good speaker communicating the word. Nope. Surely it's all the home groups and small groups they've started. Nope, it's not that. You know what it is? They base their entire church, every single thing that comes out of the pastor's mouth and teacher's mouth and small group's mouth, the foundation for it is all this, eternal rewards and eternal judgment. They're in a, they're in a first world nation. They're not thinking about retirement. They're not thinking about what's going to happen when I'm 85 years old. All they can think about is the next life, the next life, the next life, and everything they do is based on that. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10, it says, it is our constant ambition to please the Lord. Everybody say, I want to please the Lord. Now, does you say that just because I made you, or do you really want to please the Lord? You know, if you have a, a one-day perspective, and in other words, you think that you're going to be dead tomorrow, you're going to be in heaven tomorrow, and this is all it is, is just today. If you went to a, a dessert buffet later on today, don't you know that you would eat every single dessert there, or at least try every single one if you had a one-day perspective? If you have a three-month perspective and you think, well, I'm definitely going to be here for the next three months, then you'll maybe eat one dessert and maybe try a second one. But if you have an eternal perspective, you do things differently. For instance, financially. Remember the movie Armageddon where they go up to the meteor and they save the world? One of the guys thought he was surely going to die. This was his last day on earth. So he goes to a bookie and gets $2 million loan, and he gambles it away and spends it away because he thought, this is my last day on earth, which is funny. That was one of the guys that actually um, made it back to earth, and they saved the earth, so he had to deal with that. But anyway, one-day perspective, he took that money and gambled it, and all these things happened. But if you have an 85-year perspective, you know I need a 401k, I need to prepare for retirement. But if you have an eternal perspective, you make sure before I even pay my taxes, i got to make sure I honor God financially, and then everything else comes after that. Because you know it's all about the next life. It says here, we want to please the Lord. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so everyone can receive his pay according to what he's done in his bodily life, considering his purpose. Why did I sing? Why did I give? His motive. Why did I encourage this person? Why? And what he's achieved, been busy with, given himself and his attention to accomplishing. Now, I want to tell you something that's going to make you feel good with a little ring around it, okay? On the second judgment for believers, it's not about sin. Your sin has been eradicated. It's not about you sin here, you sin here, you sin here. Man, you did this when you were five years old and you shouldn't have done this when you were 16. God's not, our sin has been eradicated by Jesus. The, 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 the judgment day for us believers, the second judgment, is all about what we've given our attention to, been busy with, and accomplished for the kingdom of God. It's all about, you know, whenever you were serving in church, were you excellent? And when did you, did you invite? It's all about, it, 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 the second judgment isn't necessarily about what we've done right or wrong. It's about what we've done for the kingdom of God or haven't done for the kingdom of God. When we see the word judgment when it comes to believers, second judgment, the, the word uh, in the Greek is krima. Put it up here. The word judgment comes from the Greek word krima, and it means a decision resulting from an investigation. Your life will be investigated from birth until you left earth. And the investigation doesn't have to do with sin or not sin. It has everything to do with what did you do for the kingdom of God or what should you have done for the kingdom of God. 
That's what God's heart is for, is his kingdom on building the church and getting people a part of it and discipling them and growing them and sending out missionaries and evangelists and leaders. Revelation 2, 23, 26 through 28, Jesus said, I am he who searches the minds, the thoughts, the feelings and purposes and the inmost hearts. He's going to investigate all these things in concerning his bride or the body of Christ. I'm going to give each one a reward according to what you've done. I'll give authority over nations to everyone who refuses to give up and continues doing the works that please me. To the very end, um, why would someone give up where they got offended and they gave up? Why would somebody give up? They've been coming to church for five years and they began to just lose their passion. It was once exciting. They were touched by the worship. They enjoyed the message. They took it home. They gave. They encouraged. They served with their talents and their gifts. But they just lost their passion for it and they ended up just kind of going aside and leaving. They went through a difficult time in a relationship. They blamed it on the church and left. There's all kinds of reasons people give up. But he says if you keep doing the works, uh, Mark's told me for the past two years, he said over and over again, he said, I've never been so blessed as I have the past two years. And there's times where he works till two or three o'clock in the morning on Saturday night. He's like, oh, I I can't go to church this morning. I'll come to the late service. I can't. But he pushes himself anyway. Here's why. He doesn't want to give up because he knows he might be tired right now in this life, but it's not all about this life. It's about the eternal rewards. So I'm going to keep doing what pleases God to the very end because, man, I want to be ruler over nations for him. There's still going to be, the Bible's still going to be in, fe- in effect in heaven too, by the way. It's still going to be taught. It's still going to be preached. It says that we'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, listen to them teach the word on and on. Um, let me give you one more point, and then I'll go to this sermon, the last 10 minutes. Um, there's not one thing you can do to make God love you any more than he already loves you. Okay? You can give all your money to the poor. You can sacrifice your life for him. You can be like Mother Teresa and go to the other side of the world and take care of sick people. But God will never love you anymore. So stop trying to pay him back for something bad you've done. He's never going to love you anymore. There's nothing you can do for God to love you any less. You can murder, adulter, steal, kill, rape, um, lie, cheat, and he will never love you any less. If you don't believe me, those of you that have children, do you know what it's like to love unconditionally? Where they can do anything, good or bad, and you love them the exact same. But your children are in charge of how pleased you are with them. They're in charge of how many rewards you give. If you reward your kid and they're, just, they're not doing anything to deserve it, you're not a very good parent. That you're not understanding the incentive, okay? God rewards us. God is pleased with us based on, we are in charge of that. He will never love us more. He will never love us less. But we are in charge of how pleased he is with us. And we are in charge of what rewards we get for all of eternity. Having said that, I'm going to conclude with this. I thought um, in, in, in the conclusion of this sermon series... I, you know, I've tried to reach you by doing the right thing generationally to affect eternal. I try to reach you by, by being productive, how much time you have available and how short life is. But I thought, if I was teaching children's church today, what is the one thing that I could teach that would be so simplistic, so easy to apply and never forget and just be a part of my life and, still, and get great eternal rewards for it? So I thought out of all the ways I could talk you into having eternal rewards, here's what I want to conclude with part nine is this. Be a giver. Be a giver. Um, this is easy. You don't have to think twice. That we're never more like God than when we give. Never more like God than when we give. The one verb all through the entire Bible that, that is the action of God is giver. You want wisdom? He says, I'll give it to you. You want peace? You can have my peace. Joy? It comes from me. 
God is, the, the Bible says in John 3.16, God loved the world. He loved you and me so much. Put it up there. But you will never, you're going to perish anyhow. That's what John 3.16 says, right? God still loved the world, but you will, is that, is that what y'all's Bible says? Okay, sorry, let me go to the right one. John 3.16, for God still loved the world that he thought about giving the only thing he had. Is that what y'all's Bible says? No, see, that's why you better bring your Bibles because you never know what I'm going to put up there. You better not don't be saying this is the Bible. Y'all better open up y'all's Bible. Talk about the pastor said it's in the Bible. No, it's on the screen. That's not the Bible. You have your Bibles. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he, everybody say it, gave his own, the only thing he had one of, the only thing he could not duplicate, the only thing that meant more than anything in the world except for you. And he gave that. Um, at the very beginning, God established a law. Um, this, this, this law is called uh, the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, this law is this. It's, um, if a farmer wants a harvest, a reward, if he wants something, the farmer doesn't just think, I hope I get it. He doesn't just pray he gets the harvest. He doesn't just believe he's going to get the harvest. In fact, the farmer doesn't say, I'm going to come to church and be a good person, and then I expect the harvest. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to be a good person because you can't, it says do good, but you can't be a good person. The Bible says God's the only good one, and it says even if we could be good for a day, which we can't, and it's proven in the Bible, but even if you could do everything right in one day, even as good as you could possibly be is like filthy rags compared to the good that God requires and what he is. That's how we have to have a relationship with Jesus. But the farmer doesn't just attend church and be good and think he's going to have a harvest. The farmer has to sow a seed if he wants something in return. Here's the key. The seed always comes first. The seed has to come first. You cannot reap a harvest. There's no eternal rewards for you unless you've sown a seed. Now, you can hold on to your seeds. I don't feel like serving today. I don't feel like giving in the offering. I don't feel like using my talent. That's fine. We're not going to make you feel guilty. Then you're not going to have a harvest. There's going to be nothing for God. to. If you will release what you have in your hand, God will release what he has in his hand for you. And God's hands are much bigger than your hands are. For those of you that do have your Bibles, Galatians 6, 7 says, Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Every time you, you, you worship uninhibitedly. Because the Bible doesn't say, that, let me show you law of sowing and reaping. Um, um, God inhabits the people who stand there and just do nothing. Is that what the Bible says? It says, God inhabits the praises of his people. Sometimes we hear scripture so much we become desensitized to it. He inhabits the praises of his people. You want God to inhabit your life, then praise him. Um, let me think of another law of sowing and reaping. Oh, if you want friends, you must complain. What is about, if you want friends, what does the Bible say you must do? Show yourself friendly. Actually, I should be doing it like this because y'all are looking at this. No, I'm doing it right. Okay, yeah. So everything is law of sowing and reaping. In Genesis 26, 12, there was a famine in the land. People were dying. They were in need. And Isaac sowed a seed in the land. He received a hundred times what he planted. The Lord's blessing was on him. Isaac was thinking, he had, I, I got a need. I'm going to starve. People are dying. What do I do? He got his mind off of the need and he sowed a seed. Um, we have to be seed-oriented and not need-oriented. Sometimes we're so focused on what I don't have, what I want, what I need. Are you sowing any seeds today? Are you, is there, are you putting anything into the ground? Whether you feel like it or not, are you putting something into the ground? If you, you say, well, man, I'm depressed and nobody encourages me. And, 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 and so after I get done being depressed, then I'll go encourage somebody else. 
After I pay my taxes and all my bills, then I'll honor God financially. After I get my schedule worked out, then I'll give my, my talents and gifts to the local body and serve. Then You got it completely backwards. You're saying, I want to harvest without sowing any seeds. That that's, goes against the law, just like God established the law of gravity. It's the law of sowing and reaping. It's for everybody. You can't think, well, after, after this happens, then I'll da-da-da. Well, you got it completely twisted. You da-da-da first, and then this is going to happen in your life. In fact, where you're at today in your relationships and your finances and your wisdom and your relationship with God, it's because of the seeds you've sowed in the past. You are here today. Now, yes, the enemy attacks. Okay, I'm not, yes, the devil attacks and things of that nature. But a lot of it, for the most part, is maybe you should have been praying more. Maybe you didn't pray at all. Maybe you say you pray, but you just thought something. Maybe you really didn't go to God in actual prayer. Maybe, just like Job, you should have prayed for somebody else. That could have been the seed for God to bring you out. It all starts with a seed. Galatians 6, 8 says, plant selfishness, ignoring the weeds of others, and you'll have a harvest of weeds. A lot of people think, man, nothing good ever happens to me. I don't ever... It's because you're not sowing any seeds. Some of y'all, you're waiting for your ship to come in, and you haven't sent a ship out. And you're just standing there hoping that the blessing comes your way, but you're not doing, there's no, you have nothing in the ground. You're holding on to your seed for yourself. It's like, you know, God's given you the seed you need. If God did not give us the seed, then every time we wanted a child, God would have to come down and pull a rib out and make a child. If, if, if God did not give us the seed, every time we want to eat a tomato, God would have to come down here and, and, and create a tomato for us. But here's what he did. He established a law and he gave us the seed to reproduce. We have, whenever you see a watermelon that's got no seeds in it, it's because it's been organically altered. In other words, it's not from God. It's someone, someone did this weird thing with it. And so a lot of people, they're organically altered watermelons. They hold on to their seeds. There's no seed that they, they don't plant it, they don't sow it. They keep it all for themselves because it's all about them and their need and their kingdom. And they wonder when they get to heaven why there's going to be no eternal rewards for them. There was this father and son that were, um, they were hiking up a mountain one day. And the son slipped about 10 yards down. He landed on a cliff. He was okay, but he was you know, bruised up, skinned his knee. And time he hit the ground, he screamed, somebody help me. And he heard this voice come back, somebody help me. And so he, he said, well, who are you? And the voice came back, who are you? He said, you're a coward. The voice came back, you're a coward. His dad finally got there. He said, son, calm down. What, what, what's going on? The boy said, dad, who is that out there? The dad said, watch this. You're a winner. And the voice came back, you're a winner. He said, you got what it takes. And the voice came back, you got what it takes. And the dad sat down next to his son. He said, son, that's an echo, but it's also called life. Whatever you send out, is always going to come back to you. My question today is, what have you been sending out in life? You think the people at your office have a bad attitude? Maybe you brought it in there. You think that um, your friends aren't treating you right? Maybe you sowed the seed. You think that you're never going to get out of this financial rut? Are you, put, are you sowing any seeds in the kingdom of God? I mean, like, well, well, God's given you what you need, and, and I'm going to show you the end of the sermon in five minutes. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Galatians 6.38 says, Give, and it'll be given unto you, for the measure you give is going to be what God will use. Put it up there. What God will use. Put it up there. It's coming soon, I promise. I promise it'll be here in like five seconds. 
Luke 6, 38, did the computer freeze? There we go, it's what God's gonna use for you. Now, this is good news because this means if you decide you're gonna give a, a spoonful of blessings, guess what you're gonna get back? A spoonful of blessings. You give a, a, a shovel full of encouragement, guess what you're gonna get in your time of need? A shovel full of encouragement. You want dump truck loads of blessings. I mean, you want dump truck loads of, 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 of prayers. You want dump truck loads of encouragement. You want dump truck loads of finances. You want dump truck loads of treasures, whether you see them on earth or in heaven. And I, sometimes I'd rather have them in heaven because those are eternal. They last forever. But either way, you got to give out. You got to sow dump truck loads of seeds right now. Now, this scripture tells me something very important. I determine my harvest. Your mommy and daddy don't determine your harvest. Your grandparents don't determine your harvest. Your spouse don't determine your harvest. I determine my harvest. So you can't make excuses. You can't complain. My mama should have done this for me. My dad didn't give me this. This didn't happen for me like I wanted it to. How come this door is never opening for me? It's this person's fault. My boss must not like me. So you think your boss has more power than God's law of sowing and reaping? This is the bad news because, you see, if you're giving out criticism and gossip, guess what's going to come right back to you? Criticism and gossip. You're giving out selfishness and being stingy, guess what's going to come back to you? People be selfish and stingy. You determine your harvest. Don't blame it on anybody else. Well, how come I'm not getting promoted? The Bible says that the king of the heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he'll turn it whichever way he chooses. If God's not turning that authority figure in your direction, it's not, it's not the authority figure's fault. It's not even God's fault. He wants to bless you. He wants to, ter- he wants to promote you. The Bible says he, the promotion doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west. It comes from God. He lifts up one and puts down another. If you're not being lifted up today, what kind of seeds are you sowing? Okay, say amen to make me feel good. Amen. That way I feel like you're not like thinking like, man, he's, he's preaching hellfire and brimstone. And I saw spit come out twice. Matthew eleven twenty two. I assure now, let me, let me show you something. Let me import it. Hold on, take me back a scripture. Take me, take me back to the thing before there's a, a, a salty prince that I read about. And this salty prince is one of the top, he, he claims he's the 24th richest man in the world. Forbes magazine said he's like the 32nd rich, richest man in the world. But he's got billions and billions and billions of dollars. This salty prince has, a, in one of his kitchens, in one of his homes, he has, it's a 27,000 square foot kitchen. He has three 747s. He has a dozen um, cruise ships for himself with a full staff that's on there all the time, depending on which one he wants to go on. He has hundreds of cars. His businesses continue to flourish. He makes millions and millions of dollars every single day. And once a month, this salty prince will bring in people from his country, and he'll talk to them about their need, and he'll give them whatever they need. If they need an operation, he pays for an operation. If they need a car, he gives them a car. If they want to go to college, if, even, even in his culture, because women are looked down upon, he, if a woman wants to be a pilot, he'll pay for her to, 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 to go learn how to be a pilot. If they need a home, he gives them a home. And his businesses continue to flourish, and he's not even a Christian. He's not even a Christian. Yet, every time he gives, more comes back. Why is that? Because the law of sowing and reaping is for every single person. No matter what you believe, it's, just, it's a principle that God established on this earth. Now, he's not even a Christian. He gives more of a percentage to the people and to those in need and to, than we do, and we're believers. Now, here's what I want to show you, though. He may be going to hell because he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, but his hell, because we're talking about eternity, won't be as bad as Hitler's hell. And I'll prove it to you. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty two, 22, I assure you that on the day of judgment, it'll be more tolerable or less suffering for Tyre and Sidon than for you. People of Capernaum, you think you're going to be honored in heaven? You'll go down to hell. Here's what's going on here. The people of Tyre and Sidon rejected Jesus, but they did good things. 
People of Capernaum really rejected Jesus and did bad things. And he said, y'all are all going to hell, but it's going to be less suffering for those that did good things but didn't receive me as their Lord and Savior than it is for those that did bad things and didn't receive me from my Lord. I just wanted you to see that. I just wanted you to see. Just like in heaven there's rewards, in hell there's going to be different, different types of hell for all of eternity. That salty prince, man, just think if that salty prince, imagine if before on his deathbed, at some point in his life he ran into some Christian, and on his deathbed he thought, you know what? There's got to be a God. The mountains, the trees, the weather just shows me there's something more powerful out there. God is, and something in his heart changes. Like the thief on the cross that said, remember me today? Just imagine if that salty prince did that. Imagine what his rewards would be like in heaven. Matthew 25, 15. There's a, a story of this, 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 um, um, uh, where am I at? Okay, good. There's a story of this uh, uh, king who gave out talents to three people. And this is the last story, and I'm going to let you leave, okay? In this story, the talents are money, but it represents gifts and talents. And if you study the story, he's actually talking about believers. It's an analogy for believers, for Christians, saying that God has given them seeds and blessed them with things. And to one, he gave five talents. Everybody say five. To another, two, two, and another one. How many is that total, just so we know? Good job. Okay. I don't know if that's right. I went to Socrates. So he gave three people. Now, here's what I want you to see about this. Not everybody has been given the same amount of talent or seed. That's true. Not everybody can sing like Mark. Not everybody is as strong as Brian. Not everybody is as organized and as peace-oriented as Trisha. Not everybody is as likable as Pastor Pam. Everyone has been given different amounts of gifts. It's not important how many seeds you have. What's important is, are you releasing them into the kingdom of God? That's what's important. So don't say, well, I wish I could sing like this one. I wish I could teach like this one. I wish I had money like this one does. I wish I was organized like this one. I wish I was as friendly as this one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey, don't be like that. Everybody's been given something, at least one. Everyone's been given at least one. And it's not about how much you have. It's not about comparing it to the other one. It's about are you releasing what it is God has given you into the ground, into good soil. Okay, so each one's been given a talent. Well, in verse um, 23, uh, two of the three guys, two of the three invested theirs. They used their talent. They multiplied it. They produced something in the kingdom of God. They trained people. They discipled. They, 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 if it was a song leader, they began to train and work with other ones and built them up, and then they started doing songs. If it was a hospitality team person, they taught the ropes, encouraged. They send them a text every now and then and duplicated that person. They multiplied their talent. And here's what Jesus or the king said to the ones that multiplied. Well done, excellent servant. Because you've been faithful with little, I'm going to put you in charge of much. Luke's version says, you're going to be in charge of many cities in my kingdom. Now, it didn't say nothing about, well, you sinned here when you were 16 and you did drugs when you were 23 and all this kind of stuff, whatever. It said, because you multiplied the gifts that I gave you into my kingdom, I'm going to put you in charge of things when you get to my kingdom in heaven. Okay? Now, I want you to see, this is the, this is the revelation for today, and then we're going to be done. There was a, another one. Remember the other guy, the third guy who had the one talent? In verse 25, it says, I hid the talent you gave me. There's a difference between burying something and planting something. He didn't plant his seed. He buried it. He buried what God gave him. But here's the thing. He brought back the same thing he had. I want you to see it's very important. He didn't lose it yet. He didn't lose it. He took what God gave him and he maintained it. Everybody say maintain. In other words, he came to church 
and he tried to be a good person. In other words, he didn't do nothing with it. He just came to church. Listen, coming to church does not bless God, just so you understand. I would love to sit in a church where someone encourages me and teaches me and where beautiful um, voices and instruments just play great songs and I enjoy it. I would love to just sit there and do absolutely nothing. That'd be great. Don't give, don't serve, don't encourage, don't help, don't use my talent or gift. Come to one service and be done. That, that does not bless God, that blesses you. Just so you know, reading your Bible doesn't make God proud of your blessing. Reading your Bible is for you. That's like the, that's the word, that's the truth. When you read that, that's for you to be blessed. The Bible doesn't say, be good, it says, do good. So this one guy, he maintained what he had. Everybody say, maintained. Now I want you to see how God responds to a maintainer. In the next verse, verse 26, the king said, you wicked and lazy servant. To a maintainer. He didn't even lose what he had. He just didn't use it. And if you study the passage, you know what happens. The king took that away. I'm going to give it to somebody who is going to. Now, this also shows me God's not a socialistic God. If he were a socialistic God, and the five brought back five, that's 10. The two brought back four, that's 14. And the one brought back one, that's 15. If God were socialistic thinking, he would take those 15, and for three of them, he'd give them each five. But God didn't do that. He's a capitalistic thinker. He says, the one that multiplied and used it and invested and worked and sowed it in the land, I'm going to give you double. And the one that didn't do nothing, you bad and lazy thing, I'm going to take that from you and give it to someone who will duplicate it for my kingdom. Man, that's such a good scripture. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. So as often as we have the chance, here's a, here's a, um, a, um, a priority scripture. Especially do good to those in the household of faith. It says that's number one. If you study the scriptures, church family is even more important than blood relatives if you study what Jesus said and everything. But start with those here. Why? Because he knows we're going to duplicate it. We want to grow. That's why we're here. We want to serve. That's why we worship. That's why we give. So God says, I want you to invest in these people so these people can be blessed and reap harvest and then keep on duplicating and more and more and more. Um, last week, I told you that two of our wonderful teenagers that serve here they, came, they rode their skateboards about two miles from their house to the church, and they worked for me up here for free, duplicating CDs and stuff for us. And um, when they went to leave to ride their skateboards back to their house, their skateboards were stolen. And um, so last week I announced that, and y'all gave just as much money as we needed. We bought them two super nice $200 each skateboards. I mean, the nicest of skateboards. They were so thrilled. And they didn't even want it. They said, no, we can't. I said, you're getting the nicest one they have. I said, no, no. Then, then, then one of them said, we'll give you $100. I said, no. The church gave. We're getting you a nice skateboard. Now, I want to tell you something. The church could have easily done that without, we didn't need your help. The church does stuff like that all the time. We sow seeds in ministries and people all the time. But I felt like God was saying, John Paul, there are some people there that need to get some seed in the ground for teenagers. And I thought, God, that's what do you like? That's that's weird. Everyone that gave, I'm sure they're just normal givers, and you know they love the church and all. He said, No, they needed seed in the ground. For, I said, What do you mean for teenagers? And I felt like God said this: Some of the people that gave toward those skateboards, there's teenagers in their life, their relatives, their grandkids, so, and they've really been praying for them. And I needed some seed in the ground so I could bring a harvest for the teenagers they're praying for. I think that's so beautiful how God does that. Even in my own life, I have five kids. My, my oldest two, I'm kind of, we, we don't have healthy relationships. I can't do nothing for them right now, but you know what I can do? I can do something for other teenagers. 
and believe that God's going to take that harvest when I pray, when I'm in need, when I believe, and he's going to drop it down on my teenagers. Man, we got to get some seed in the ground. Our heavenly harvest is connected to our earthly seeds.